Hello and welcome back to Concentrated Monologue. In this episode, we are taking a brief divergence uh, that was not planned. We're going to be covering the Babylon 5 made for TV movie Third Space. Uh, now, I believe in a previous episode several years back now, uh, one of my earlier episodes, I mentioned I was not going to cover the movies that I may in fact cover in the beginning, but that's about it. But I decided because of the two hiatus pretty much in a row uh, that I ended up having to take for mental and physical health reasons, um, I owed it to you guys to uh, apologize uh, in a more fitting way than just rambling on about the woes that I experienced in my uh, sincerest apologies. So I figured I'd cover something that I wasn't originally planning to cover. Um, this was part of TNT's deal to uh, continue the series. So I mentioned uh, when I first started Season 4 that Season 4 is crunched uh, because of the cancellation crisis. So JMS... Uh, sort of shortened things he could, uh, ejected storylines that he could, and smashed a lot of his plans uh, into season four. Season five, he's able to flesh out all the all of the stuff that he ended up having to get uh, cut because TNT stepped in and uh, was sort of got uh, revived B five from death because PTN, which is what it was originally airing on, had went under. As part of the deal, there was a guaranteed four movies and a spin-off. Uh, the, the movies are Third Space, which I'm covering here, In the Beginning, which is a prequel about the Mimbari War, which I'm going to be covering after I finish Season 4, but before I begin Season 5, River of Souls, uh, which uh, is about the Soul Hunters from way back in Season 1, but it is a story that takes place explicitly after the season five episode objects at rest i don't think i'm going to cover it um we'll see when we get there because that's that's a long time coming who knows um i did say i was never going to cover this one and then i ended up covering it. and then a call to arms which serves as a sort of backdoor pilot slash setup movie for the spin-off crusade that was sadly short-lived i think my plan is to only cover this one and then in the beginning but uh, if necessary, if I ever decide to go back and do Crusade, I'll definitely do a Call to Arms first. Uh, and I may or may not cover River Souls, but probably not. Um, so Third Space, um, it it's a bit of a mixed bag. It's a really solid. It's got some really solid performances, some creepy visuals and creepy music, really selling the atmosphere of what's going on. Uh, but it does have some faults in it. Uh, the biggest ones, uh, that I noticed was, uh, that, that short, like, minute-long intro from Sheridan doing a voiceover, uh, basically saying all this has happened, basically giving his report, uh, post-mortem post of the situation, uh, and then, and then us seeing the situation, I don't think it was necessary. It felt like padding, um, which this movie does have quite a bit of padding. There are scenes that go on for just a little too long. Uh, the slower pace, especially in the middle, is quite killer. Um, it's not bad, 
but it is noticeable. You know, there's a point where you know, the intrigue's up, and then all of a sudden the story just starts moving at a glacial place. Um, and uh, the final third of the episode is full of exposition dumps from Elizabeth Trent's a monologue about her idea about third space uh, and uh, jump gate technology to Lita literally expositing the entire movie to Sheridan and Dylan. Um These are flaws. Um, it's they're not terribly obtuse flaws. Um, they're they're dealable. You can deal with them. It's once again, it's a quite solid movie. Um, n nothing too major. I think the the best bits of the movie are, <laughs> ironically, not really related to the main plot. Um, Lita gets quite a bit to do in this movie, uh, from being possessed to dealing with uh, the aftermath of being a pawn of the Vorlons to uh, just trying to deal with uh, her current living situation. And Patricia Dolman puts on a really great performance. And um, the the sort of interesting stuff with her is primarily done through those flashback scenes where uh, we get to see how she came to come in contact with the Vorlon. So, of course, after the gathering where she, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, scanned Kosh... Uh, the first telepath ever scanned for Lon. She became obsessed with him, and she left the Psychor in between the gathering and divided loyalties, and then between divided loyalties and uh, season three, uh, where she comes back quite literally as an emissary of the Vorlons, uh, as their personal assistant. Uh, she has went to the Vorlon homeworld, the only human to have done such a thing. Uh, and I, I like how, like, no one wanted to take her. Everybody thought it was stupid and crazy. And what the hell was she thinking? She had to bribe a bunch of people to get there. Uh, and then when they got there, she was just kind of abandoned. Because it's insane. Who wants to sit out there? Because, like, everybody that's ever been to Vorlon Space never comes back. And so they just leave her a life pod that doesn't have enough, you know, oxygen or food or whatever to last more than a couple of days. And that's when the Vorlons come and pick her up. You know, uh, they waited till she was alone, frightened, and desperate. Isolated. Perfect for their needs. Uh, and uh, that, that really feeds into the pride uh, theme uh, going on with the Vorlons, which has been a big thing since season one. But that, that, uh, that's the overall impetus for the plot of this episode, was that uh, the, third, the, the third space artifact was... Of not only a Vorlon invention, but it was a mistake that they had made, uh, and it's only one of many, many, many more, which I like that, that sort of underlying legacy of the first ones, uh, that's come up in a, uh, past couple episodes, uh, ever since, uh, the end of the Shadow War, but it's gonna keep coming up, and it's especially prevalent here, of the first ones were once young themselves, and they made mistakes. Uh, and those mistakes came back to bite them. But some of them have laid silent and dormant. And now that the now that these first ones are no longer there to monitor the mistakes and keep them at bay, they're going to come out. 
and you know the younger races now who are trying to learn to stand on their own feet are now going to have to deal with the mistakes of the past of decisions they never made um it keeps with that sort of parent metaphor that family metaphor of you know we are in a way uh responsible for some stuff of our parents you know the sins of the father concept exists for a reason whether you believe someone is responsible or not for something that their parents did is another question but you still feel the weight of the decisions of your parents on you and it affects your life even long after you've you know went independent or your parents have uh died or whatever that weight is still there in some capacity um and uh the zach and lita scene i think is the best scene in the entire movie it is absolutely adorable uh and incredibly relatable because you know even though you know you, of course no one's been possessed by like crazy dimension hopping genocidal aliens uh in my presence before i have been in that situation where i'm I'm trying to find the words. I'm struggling to find the words to convey my feelings to someone. And I just can't get it out. And it, it's coming off as amateurish and sappy, melodramatic and dumb. And isn't sounding as cool as it was in my head. And that that is exactly what Zach is doing. Of course, he doesn't realize that Lita is possessed. And of course, is not hearing anything. Um... And there, there was already this sense of chemistry between them, some sort of building romantic tension. Uh, it felt kind of one-sided for Zack, uh, and that will become a thing later on in uh, Season 5. No spoilers here, but that will become a thing. Uh, the, 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 the overall feelings of Zack to Lita is a plot point in the future. Um... There, there's several really good um, guest stars in this episode. Uh, the actress who plays Elizabeth Trent has amazing screen presence. She at once feels like a mix of a smarmy businesswoman, a wanderlust explorer, and a mad scientist all in one. And she's able to really play that tug of war uh, uh, via uh, uh, you know via conversation with Sheridan. Uh, and a lot of the other main characters, and I think she really nails that role. Um, and plus, IPX coming back, you know, Inter Interplanetary Expeditions has been talked about since season one. Uh, you know, exploring the past for a brighter future. You know, that, that entire concept that humans are going out there to explore, but it's got a darker edge to it. Uh, as as seen in the season season one episode of Infection, where they're taking technology to use it as experiments to see if they can improve humans or give them a, a edge in the technology race against other species. Um, it, it it is not exploration in the way that uh that that is altruistic. It's not. This is not Starfleet from star trek in a way um and i like that that that, that, that they, they keep coming up they're always in the background and they're always very shady uh but they are there their presence is felt also deuce is back um uh, he's from the season one episode grail 
Uh, I like that he's back. You know, um, he's not in this uh, episode much, but the, uh, you know, this movie, I suppose. <laughs> but the actor's great. Uh, I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. You know, ZF Sebastian from uh, uh, from Blade Runner, E.B. Farnham from Deadwood. He's just a really, really good uh, actor. Uh, and it, it, it sort of keeps that, that idea of, like, the underground of, uh, of Babylon 5. Changes hands from well, once in a while, um, but not too, not too often. And that they're still there in the background, they're just not the major focus. Like, the Grath, and then Deuce here, and then a particular character in Season 5. Um, it, it really adds to that feeling that the station has other things going on in it besides what the main characters are doing. Um, now, the atmosphere of this uh, movie is probably one of its greatest strengths. Uh, the way... You know, Bamboom 5 stretches its dollar very, very well uh, and is able to uh, stretch its budget in a way that they're able to get a lot of things on screen that you wouldn't think they would have the budget for. Sure, it looks dated, and sure, it seems a bit rough, but it conveys the sense of scale and atmosphere that, that you really need, and that this has always been one of Babylon 5's strengths. And then in this movie, where, yeah, they only have a little bit extra budget, because, yeah, their budget doubled, but actor fees, director's fees, etc., all went up. So, in essence... They uh, they only had a minuscule extra amount of budget. That's something Jameis talked about. So um, the what the way they were able to stretch that and build that artifact in CG to make it seem ginormous, and the focus on the scale of it, and then the creepy city, uh, that creepy squid creature, uh, all of it's really great. I think the, the, the least interesting design, I think, is the Third Space Alien ships themselves. They don't come from our universe. They were, you know, something that the Vorlons found. Uh, you know, the it, it's the classic Tower of Babel story where, uh, you know, humans got too big for their britches and wanted to go meet God. Well, the Vorlons, uh, you know, got too big for the britches and wanted to see God slash become God. Uh, and were punished for it. And the third space alien ship designs are effectively more compact, slightly fatter, with a slight reskin of Vorlon ships. And maybe that was the point because this was a Vorlon mistake, but they don't originate from the Vorlons. They are from another universe. And I think because they're from another universe, they're not confined by the constraints of our universe. The uh, the same materials, the, the, the same kind of gravity or physics or what have you, I think you could go really out there with the design, really make them feel distinct and alien, otherworldly. Because that is what the atmosphere that we're trying to sell. We're going for cosmic horror. And this is certainly better than other attempts at cosmic horror in the series, notably the long dark back in season two. Uh, and it really sells that Lovecraftian vibe with the atmosphere. And I think we could have gone, you know, more otherworldly with those ship designs. Um, but overall, this is a really, really solid, uh, you know, 
uh, movie. Uh, it's effectively a standalone thing, but it does fit in with that idea of the dark legacy of the first ones. Uh, and it goes for a different tone than the rest of B5, going for that cosmic horror rather than the space opera. Uh, and it's a nice change of pace. Um, I normally skip it in rewatches because I don't think it really is necessary, but I watch it every once in a while, uh, and I think it's really good. You know, it's not perfect, it's not the best of the movies, but it is pretty good. Uh, the only sad thing about it is that it was not remastered with everything else. Sadly, none of the movies were remastered, uh, and what I'm referring to about that is that the entire TV show Babylon 5 was remastered and put on uh, HBO Max uh, a couple of weeks ago from the time of this recording, and it all looks beautiful. I actually did a rewatch while I was out of the count with COVID, uh, and it really does look great. But uh, none of the movies, even The Gathering, which they have on HBO Max because it is necessary to understand the overall arcing plot of B5, was not remastered. Neither was in the beginning, River Souls, Call of Arms, or Crusade. Just the five seasons. So that's a bit of a disappointment. Uh, especially because these uh, these effects all do convey a sense of atmosphere that I think would look even better remastered. But anyway, solid, solid movie. Uh, and I figured I'd do it just as a neat little apologies for all the uh, hiatuses I've had to take. Uh, and I shall see you next time. Bye.